the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And this verse 15 is where we're springing from today. I will, God will, put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, NIV, crush your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Main point today. Main point, I'm going to steal a quote from the Apostle Paul. I don't steal it. He doesn't mind if I used it. Here's the main point. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. That's right there in Genesis 3.15. Where do we see sin increasing? Sin is increasing right here at the fall where the first man, first woman, Adam and Eve, have rebelled against their good God and his good provision and his kindness and his love and his devotion and his fellowship to them. They have, he gave them one restriction, called on them to trust him and love them, and they have rebelled. And in this section, God is calling them to account. And so we see in these judgments, we see in their, act, in their actions and then in these judgments, sin increasing. Sin has increased. There was no sin. Then there was sin. Do the math. Sin is increasing. But God says in his word, grace increased all the more. That's what we see happening in the he shall crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. Grace is increasing all the more. So Shelby gave us two effects of grace last week. We looked at Christ in you and we looked at the effect of joy. Grace brings joy into our lives. Two more effects of grace abounding in the life of a Christian. Okay, that's what we're going to do this morning. Two more effects of grace abounding in the life of a Christian. And I'll say this too. I want to give you permission to be a little more vocal this morning. Some of you didn't need the encouragement. My point is this. If you were money have a lot who had just learned that you were holding in your hand the winning ticket for the jackpot of $1.73 billion, and I announced this this morning, I guarantee you something would eke out of you. You'd squeak with joy, minimally. And what I'm preaching to you this morning is so incredible that there ought to be at least the squeaks and murmurs of joy as you listen to the effects of grace. Amen? Let's see. Let's see how we do. Two more effects of grace abounding in the life of a Christian. Number one, justification. Number one, justification. 
theological, theologically heavy word. Justification. Let's look at it. We've got to turn in our Bibles, though. Can you turn in your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 5? I'm going to read another text of Scripture. So we're springing from Genesis 3, verse 14 and 15, to Romans 5. And if you look at Romans 5, verse 12, I'm going to read five verses, but in verse 12, you will likely see a heading in your Bible. And the heading in your Bible says something like this, death in Adam, life in Christ. So Paul, when he wrote this, had Genesis 3, 15 in mind. Okay? Let's read it. Therefore, try to follow this. And I think you can follow this better because you know Genesis 1 through 3. You're in a better position to follow this than you were a few months ago. So follow this. Try to follow Paul's logic here as he writes to the church in Rome. He says, therefore, and he's been talking about what it means to be justified by faith. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, who? A little quiz. Adam, good, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men. Who's that? All, all of us, because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. Sin was in the world before the Ten Commandments, okay? But sin is not counted where there is no law. Got to study that one. Don't know exactly what he means. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Paul has Genesis 3, 15 in mind, and Paul is doing a comparison. He is comparing the entrance of death through Adam and the entrance of eternal life through the second man, Jesus Christ. This is what he's comparing. He's doing some chief comparisons here. It's a great way to teach, uh, teach people. It's through comparison. It's this, not this. It's how we teach one another. It's how we teach our children. He's doing some chief comparisons. What is he comparing? Sin and grace. And where sin increased, what happened to grace? It increased all the more. He's comparing the effect of sin, condemnation, with the effect of grace, justification. It's a comparison. So here's a question. How is it 
that the grace of God in Jesus in justification is greater than the working of sin in Adam to condemnation? That's a question that we all ought to be able to answer if we're in Christ. How is it that the grace of God in Jesus is greater than, more than, the working of sin in Adam to bring condemnation? Here it is. Here's the answer. Condemnation was based on one sin. Condemnation was based on one man's sin. But justification is God's answer not only for that one original sin, but for all the many sins committed down through the many ages by the many multitudes of God's people. Praise Him. Justification is a legal term. It refers to the work of God in dealing with the most basic, most basic religious question. What's the question? How can a man, how can a woman get right with God? Justification is the answer for this. How can a man, how can a woman get right with God? Because we know from Genesis 1 through 3 that we're not right with God naturally as a result of Adam and Eve's fall into sin. We're not right with God in ourselves. That's the doctrine of sin. Sin means we're in rebellion against God. We're at war with God. We're at enmity with God. We're naturally inclined to resisting God, to fighting God, to being distrustful of God, to running away from God and hiding from God. We're not right with him naturally. And that's true for all of us. Romans 3.23, Paul wrote there, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. This is why you have to understand this word justification. Justification is the most important of all Christian doctrines because it tells how someone who is in rebellion against God can get right with God. It says that we can be justified, cleared from all of our sin by the work of Christ alone, received through faith alone, not by works. Good. That's good. That's like a lotto ticket. That was like giving you $1.73 billion. I'll say it again. It says that we can be justified, cleared from all of our sin by the work of Christ alone, received through faith alone, and not by works. You get it. All you have to do is receive it. It says that all who believe are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. It says, justification says that a man is justified, a woman is justified by faith apart from obedience to the law. Justification, let me make this real clear if it hasn't been clear yet. Justification is completely God's work. You don't contribute anything. 
Justification is a work of grace. If you could contribute, it wouldn't be a work of grace. Now, sanctification, on the other hand, you make a contribution. You can't muck up your justification. You can muck up your sanctification. That's another sermon. I remember, and I'm thankful I thought about this church this week, where my, mo- my mom got just radically saved and started taking us to a little Baptist church in near Garnet Valley, Fellowship Baptist Church. I'm so thankful for that church. I learned some things that have stuck with me for years. I can still see. He seemed really tall. Maybe he's not even, maybe he wasn't even as tall as me. But Pastor McQuaid, I can see him preaching and teaching God's word. I'm so thankful for that church. But there was something that would happen regularly in that church. I was just telling somebody recently that um, they would regularly have people stand up and give testimonies like people did to get baptized here. They would regularly stand up. And the church was small, a lot smaller than Brandywine Grace. So you knew everybody. But I was really confused. I was 10 years old, and I got confused because people would get up and say things like this. They would get up and share a testimony of how God had saved them. And then about two months later, they would get up and share a testimony again. They were like, scratch that one. I wasn't a Christian then. Now I am. And then like a year later, the same person would stand up. And they'd say, scratch, you know, they didn't say scratch that from the record, but they would share their testimony as if it didn't work the first time. And one of the flaws of that little church was there was a legalistic, they, they wouldn't have preached this, they preached the gospel just like we're preaching it, but what seeped into the church was this idea that you actually did contribute to your justification, that God didn't save you by grace alone, that you contributed, and so in your contribution, you better hold on to it because you can lose it. And I remember as a 10-year-old, I was like, uh. you, had, you just had me memorize in children's ministry For by grace you have been saved. And it's not a work of yourselves. It's not a a work so that no one can boast. I memorized that. As a 10-year-old, I should have raised my hand and said, I don't get that. I don't get how God can save you by grace and then take it back again based on your works or lack of works. I didn't get that. You're not supposed to get that. Because that's nowhere in the Bible. It's subtle, though. It's like, a, it's like an infection. And, in a, and it infects all of us to some degree. We are legalistic by nature. But I'm trying to tell you, if you're in Christ, you can't lose your justification because you never earned it. You never achieved it. You never obtained it through your own effort in the first place. You don't participate in justification, you just receive it through repentance and faith. The thief on the cross is just as justified as the person in here who's been following Jesus for 35 years. The thief on the cross is just as justified as Don Agar. And he had no opportunity to get down off that cross and do one good thing for Jesus. He's saved by grace. You get it? You ought to be murmuring. So if I offered you, 
$1.73 billion or I offered you justification. Can I plead with you? Take justification. Take Jesus. One of them will last you 80 years at most. And most of you are older than 40, so the clock's already ticking. You want to be older than 30. You got 50 years on this one at most. The other one will last you for an eternal lifetime if there is such a thing. Because an eternal lifetime is a misnomer. It's going to last you forever and ever and ever. And there's nothing that this world could ever give you that compares to that. All right, let me show you one other thing. This might be a little confusing. I tried to draw it out, or actually, I had Vicky draw it out. I want to show you something, because I want to show you how grace abounding is greater than the sinful work of Adam. So put up that first slide. Let's see if we can make sense of this, okay? The one on the left is a woman, girl. The one on the right is a man. It's, it's you. It's you, okay? And that big line right there, that bold line right there, is where... Adam was and Eve was before the fall into sin. So let me ask you a question. No, not you, Siri. <laughs> it's a rhetorical question. <laughs> Who has it better? A Christian in this room or you don't have to think about this one. Adam and Eve before the fall. There's some thinking. I got two different answers. So we got to think through this one. Who has it better? A Christian right now in this room. Do you think, if you're a Christian, do you think you have it better than Adam before the fall? All right, well, let's look. I'm going to show you. I'm going to give you an answer. Well, this is the righteousness scale, okay? So this is Adam and Eve before the fall. They were at zero. They were innocent. And then they sinned. And where do they go? They got a fall on the scale after sin, right? So give me the next slide. All right, so sin puts you below zero. You're not neutrally innocent any longer, right? You're at minus 100, let's say. Let's say sin puts you at minus 100. Where are you apart from Jesus? Right there. It's right there. Now check this, because this is where grace is abounding. Because, because of justification, so if you're in Christ, if you've received the work of Christ in faith, where do you think you end up? Well, you definitely go back to zero, right? Because God has disposed of your sin. The penalty of your sin fell upon Christ. So let's show that next slide. Okay? So now we're moving back up to, neut to neutral. We're, in we're innocent. Our sins have been washed away. But that's not where the grace of God stops. The grace of God stops here. You get clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So you get the righteousness of Jesus, which puts you at, let's say, positive 100. Next slide. 
So there's this abundance, there's this super abundance of righteousness that is now yours if you are in Christ. The work of Christ doesn't merely restore us to a state of innocence and dispose of our sin. It lifts us above and beyond to make us people who know good and evil, which they didn't before the fall, and we get to choose good. I lost you, didn't you? Let me just say this, where sin increased, grace increased all the more, and grace is better than it was in the fall prior to sin, because grace raises you above a state of innocence to a place of being fully clothed in the superabundance of Jesus Christ. So let me just talk to anyone in here who has never experienced justification. You can be justified. You can get that. All you have to do is receive Jesus and the work that he did in your place. All right, let's keep going. All right? So I'm trying to tell you that there are two more effects of grace abounding in the life of a Christian. I've given you one. It's justification. Let me give you another. It's joint heirs with Christ. Romans 8, so flip your Bible a couple pages to Romans 8, verses 16 through 17. And just the first part of verse 17 I want to highlight this morning. This is what Paul writes again in the letter to the Romans. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And the reason why a $1.73 billion jackpot ticket in your hand means more to you than what you just read there is because you don't understand what you just read there. Who has a better estate, Adam and Eve in the garden or you as a Christian? At best, Adam was just God's regent over an earthly paradise. But we are going to inherit, according to Scripture, all that is Christ's. <laughs> all that is Christ's is yours. Now, let me just ask you uh, maybe a philosophical question. Which is worth more? Jesus. So all that is Jesus or $1.73 billion. Now there's an important legal difference we need to see here between being an heir and being a joint heir. Illustration. A woman dies and leaves her $400,000 estate to four children. Follow me. If they're heirs of the estate, what happens? The $400,000 gets divided equally among them. So they each come away with $100K. But if they were established as joint heirs, fellow heirs, co-heirs, it wouldn't work that way. The estate wouldn't be divided. And they each would possess the $400,000. So each one could say, I'm worth 400000 
Now, all of you, I'm looking out at confused faces. You can't even process that. You know why? Because humans are so sinful. You, it's actually legal. You could do this. But no one will ever do it. You know why? Because we'll argue over it. If we're one of the four, well, how much are you going to get? Well, if, you get, if I only get 80, that means you're getting 120. We can't take that. Humans can't deal with that. That's why there's so much fighting when someone dies and an estate is left. It's because we're so selfish. Humans can't get along. We'd fight over it. We'd think someone else was getting more than us. It wouldn't be fair. But what doesn't work with humans works in divine affairs with the Holy Spirit in us, always working in us, working together for the good of all. So what is the inheritance of a Christian? It's all that's Christ's is yours. All of it. So, so you, if you're in Christ, we're not dividing Christ up. It's not, like, it's not like all the Christians are going to be there and they all get their inheritance in Christ, but it's such a small amount because there's so many of us. No, every Christian gets everything that Christ gets. And somehow in the heavenly kingdom of things, God can do that. Peter tells us that this inheritance is being kept in heaven for us. See, it's... Stop. I'll just keep going here. I wonder what's more secure. Your investments here on earth? <laughs> or the one kept in heaven for you? What, where, what, what market do you think is more secure? Earthly investment market? Or the one that God is keeping for you? Our inheritance can never depreciate in value because it's kept in the investment bank of heaven. It also can't be lost. Adam lost his inheritance through sin, but we can't lose ours because it's not based, it's not based on the same system as Adam's. It's based on a different system. Adam's inheritance was based on a works, it was a works-based system. What do, what do I mean by that? It means if you obey... You keep your inheritance. If you disobey and rebel, your inheritance is lost. But our inheritance is not based on a covenant of works. It's based on a covenant of grace. That's another way of saying our inheritance is not based on a, it's not based in a work system. It's based in a grace system. And since grace is neither earned nor deserved, but based purely on the unchangeable will of God, you can't lose it. That was, I mean, guys, this is what we have to spend our time thinking about. All that's Christ's is yours. We should think on these things because it doesn't matter as much. For some reason, we could think of all that we would do with $1.73 billion, but we really don't have any thoughts on what we would do with everything that's Christ, that's mine. We should meditate on these things. All right, let's move to application. My application is, how do we 
this is what I want us thinking about. How, if grace is abounding in our lives, if grace is abounding in the life of a true believer, and it's abounding in the ways that shall be described, and it's abounding in the ways that I'm describing, and many more ways that we didn't describe. If grace is truly abounding, how can we keep that goodness like functioning for us? That's what I want us to be thinking about. These things are true for you, but you came in here not thinking about them very much. What God wants to do is to keep you in a place of thinking about what's true about you. So, an illustration from basketball. Some, some of you are like, oh no, another sports illustration. I want to make it real clear. Coaches give instructions. Both of my sons played basketball. And... and uh, so over the years, I went to a lot of basketball games, and I heard the coach's instructions to, to my sons. They both got similar, they got the same instructions from the coach, from their coaches, but they got different instructions because of their different skill set, okay? So the first one that I heard a lot was my younger son had a really, really like, I mean, it just a beautiful jumper. Pretty. He could score from just about anywhere on the court. So his instruction regularly when he got the ball, if he was dribbling down the court, he regularly heard this from the coach, knock it down. Knock it down. What's that mean for all of you non-athletes? It means pull up, pull the trigger and knock it down. That was the instruction that he regularly received. My older son didn't have that pretty J. So he never heard knock it down. He heard something else. He was big and he was strong. And they gave him a different instruction all the time. And that's the one I want to draw to your attention right now because you need to learn this. Whether you're playing basketball, you need to learn this in the, in the spiritual basketball game of your life. This is what you need to know. This is what they told him. Box out. Box out. Let me tell you what that means. Box out is what the big, strong guys do to keep you away from getting the rebound. So if somebody shoots, the ball goes into the air, the ball doesn't go in, it bounces off the rim and comes out, and box out is like this. You're trying to keep people from getting into this area. So why? So you can get the rebound and give it to somebody to knock it down. Boxing out is what we need a little bit more of in our lives. Let me explain. That area right there, you don't want anybody in that area. So you box people out of that area. Paul described it this way. He instructed us in Ephesians 6 to, in, in fighting the good fight of the faith and in fighting in spiritual battle. He said three times in Ephesians 6 that we should stand firm and after you've done everything, stand firm and stand firm. He says it three times in Ephesians 6. See, we often think that the Christian life is all about us going on the offensive, knocking it down. It's not. It's just about standing firm and holding the gospel ground that God has preserved for you, has rescued you, and stuck you. And he's saying, just hold that ground. Well, how do you hold that ground? you got to keep looking in the Word. 
you got to keep reading the Word. you got to keep asking the Spirit of God to take the truth about grace and apply it to your hearts. How do you do that? you got to keep the things of the world. you got to keep the, the, the sins and the temptations that want to get into this space and steal that ball. you got to keep them out. you got to box out. Next time temptation comes and says, no, 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 you'd be really happy if you looked at this. Box out, box out. Next time temptation comes and says, if you could only get that job, then you'd be happier. Box out, box out. The next time temptation comes and says, you know, if, if you could just get a relationship, if you just could, if God would just bring you somebody and you could enter into a relationship, a long-term relationship, then you'd be happy forever. Box out, box out. Why? Because you're the recipient of grace, and grace is more than the world could ever offer you. We can trust God for all that he wants to bring into our lives. What do we do every day? Box out, box out. Does that make sense? We got to box out. I wanted to give you one more illustration, but I won't. I'll just tell you this. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. What is grace? What are two effects of grace in our lives? Justification, being made right with God, and we're joint heirs with Christ. And if you get those things, if you really take Jesus, you get these things and so much more so that you can honestly say, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and that's good news. So let's pray.